welcome to Scripps Fox. Today I have Emma Ackerman joining us from New York City, where she works for Vice. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thanks for having me, Dr. Stewart. You know, I've been following your tweets and understand some of what you're you're covering. Maybe you could give us and our listeners give us an idea of of what you've been working on at Vice prior to the pandemic, and then how the pandemic has affected your uh, your coverage area. Before the pandemic, I was starting to transition more into economic coverage, poverty coverage, and civil rights coverage, a little bit all over the place. But I've been a general assignment reporter here for about a year and a half. So I was sort of well positioned to cover whatever I was interested in. So when this pandemic started, I was really in a place where I knew that the angle I would want to take to cover it would have a lot to do with the economic fallout and also its impact on homeless people. Like right when the pandemic started, actually, just as it was starting to emerge, it was more of a problem on the West Coast. I was out in homeless encampments interviewing people um, and helping for a segment on Vice News Tonight. Now I'm reporting on homelessness um, from the comfort of my own home, which is a little bit more difficult. What have you seen just right in your area as far as uh, an increased problem in homelessness? Uh, Is it evident to you just in in your area? Because I know you can't travel too far during the pandemic, but are you seeing signs of increased homelessness? Not in my area directly. I know that one place where homeless people are congregating quite a bit right now because they're afraid to stay in the shelters is the subway system. I have not taken the subway system in close to two months. I'm hoping to resume taking the subway system again soon. But a lot of the homeless people I communicate with here, and it's honestly a bit odd because it probably would have been a situation prior to this where I would have gone out and sought them out and met them on the subways or met them in the McDonald's cafe, or met them at the Starbucks and met them outside the shelters. Right now, I pose a risk to them. They pose a risk to me. We can't be interacting as much, so we're talking a lot over Twitter DM or we're texting and we're acting as if you know we're not a few blocks apart from each other. Homeless people, though, here right now are definitely suffering. There, I think as of today, are about 800 cases in the city's homeless shelter system, which includes hundreds of shelters, and about 35 cases among people who are unsheltered, meaning they sleep on the streets. What led you to wanting to cover the topic of homelessness originally? It's a good question. Um, So I really got interested in it actually pretty much exactly a year ago. Um, I, again, I mentioned I'm a general assignment reporter, so you know, hurricanes, natural disasters, shootings, stuff like that, sort of my bread and butter. And I have been following this hurricane um, or the fallout of one hurricane, Hurricane Michael, for several months when I kept hearing, you know, people are still homeless seven months after the storm. Our housing market has completely collapsed. We're seeing a lot of speculative buyers come in here and try and flip the homes, rush up the housing prices. We're going to have a long-term crisis here. And when I went down and started talking to people in tent encampment and homeless shelters, I realized that it was a really, at least at the time, very ignored population um, that wasn't really getting their due in the press and very much had an interesting story to tell about America's unfolding renter crisis. We're moving toward a majority country of renters, especially with rising housing costs. 
And after that, I became really interested in what other stories aren't being told in homeless communities, how does the homeless crisis intersect with the housing crisis. After that point, wrote like a series of stories about similar issues, and so was sort of primed to write about renter issues and homelessness issues during the pandemic. It seems like an economics story, if not necessarily a business story, but there obviously is a business angle to it. But there's also a sociological, uh, anthropological, historical. I mean, there's a lot of different angles to touch on this this story. And you don't see this topic really being covered as a, as a beat by um, most, most mainstream media, it doesn't seem. Yeah, I think that there are some publications that are starting to get more into covering homelessness as an economic issue. There was this really long period in coverage where people wrote about homelessness without talking to homeless people about how they had come to be in that situation. It was kind of seen as like an other population. Either you assumed that homeless people were suffering from drug addictions or mental health issues, and you never assumed that there was any sort of economic factor to why they were there. It seemed like in coverage, there was this overwhelming assumption that people were there by choice. Talking to homeless people over these past few months or after, over the past year, I suppose, has really drilled into me that it is very much an economic crisis, not so much of a crisis of choice or sociological issues. What I hope to bring to it is more humanity and hopefully more of an economics perspective too, because I was covering business issues before this, really liked it, and sort of wanted to bring that into poverty coverage. How did you approach Vice, or, or did somebody advise approach you and, and ask you to do this coverage? It's sort of a mixed bag, right? Because Vice will take on a lot of different angles, especially if they see them not being really picked up by like what I guess some people would consider the, the mainstream press. It was sort of something that I had wanted to cover for us for a while um, and had continued to ask to do just because it seemed like something that we needed and it seemed like something that if we could get to it early, maybe other publications would see there was value to it and follow us. And I can't say for certain that like other publications are doing this because we are, but there are more people covering homelessness now, especially during the pandemic, which is really good to see because it's definitely an issue that needs a lot more light. How has the pandemic affected how you organize your life and how you operate both just personally and professionally. I mean, you already touched on some of the aspects of, you know, interacting with sources that you would talk to. But in general, what are some of the changes that you've had to adapt to? I'm pretty much working all the time right now. And that's sort of, I'm not saying that Vice is putting me in that situation. That's something I'm very much doing on my own. But it's much harder to log off because I'm just on my phone or on my computer all the time. Home is work and work is home. So one thing that's really great about working in digital media and being based in New York is that you're already sort of taught to do much of your reporting over social media to begin with, whether that's cruising for stories on Reddit and Twitter or finding online communities that often are reflective of communities that exist out in the real world and figure out how those communities could help you or you could help them produce good stories. I already was looking in Facebook groups and Discord servers and subreddits for stories before this. And so I'm just kind of continuing to do business as normal right now. It's just, I know I'm not going to have the prospect to report on the ground for many months. 
What has been one of the big surprises to you in your transition from college life, which now may seem a little more distant to you because it's been more than a year, but college life and organizing yourself as a professional full-time journalist? One of the big realizations that I had after I graduated was that I really had to learn how to be an advocate for myself and for the things that I wanted to do and for the sort of coverage I wanted to bring. And that might sound like silly because, of course, you're supposed to advocate for yourself and speak up about what you want to do. But when you graduate, you're on this very, very low rung of the career ladder, right? And so you're going to feel uncomfortable saying, I'm not necessarily doing what I want to do right now especially since you're in such a privileged position to have a job in journalism in the first place that you're sort of like, I shouldn't speak up. I should just keep climbing this ladder by myself until I get to a place where I'm secure. One of the things that I had to realize about a year into my journalism career in New York that I did not anticipate happening after I graduated was that I did have the ability to say, you know, I'm not where I want to be right now and I should be open and honest about, you know, changing jobs or learning how to network on a higher level or learning how to become comfortable enough, um, especially as a very young reporter, to say, I would like you to take a chance on me and allow me to do this thing that I think you should entrust a 24-year-old, 23-year-old to do. How do you think you came to that point where you, you know, you made that, that rather bold, you know, what might have seemed at the time like a crazy or bold move? to uh, to advocate for yourself? What was it that made you do that? I think that one of the notions that I had when I came into journalism was that the most valuable piece of journalism for me and for a lot of my peers would be security because you learn and you hear so much how journalism is this really insecure field and you're not ever going to really know where your next job is going to come from or you should be grateful for whatever job you get. I kind of realized that that insecurity of journalism, while really terrifying, is also part of the creative aspect to it. It's part of the exciting aspect to it. I kind of had to let go of the notion that I had to be secure over being creative or over trying new things. And once I realized that, you know, you can risk a little bit of security to try something new, I was a lot more comfortable saying, here's what I'd like to do. And here's who I'd like to be in five years. And I'm going to go chase that. Even if it means, you know, there might be periods of unemployment in between. Would you say that that is advice that you would give to the, the graduating class of 2020? It's a very privileged position to be in. I think that everybody should consider their own economic circumstances, the level of debt that they have, the city that they're in, and what they're able to take on. I happen to be in a city where there's great opportunity. But I would say if you have this conviction within you that you want to cover poverty or you want to cover race issues or you want to cover, you know, professional football or whatever, you should keep that goal in mind and try as best as you can, as much as you're able to not compromise that goal. What's life like in Queens right now for folks like you who've been living there for a while and now all of a sudden the pandemic hits? One great thing about my neighborhood, I happen to live in like a Italian Catholic society. So like everybody in my building is related 
And it's been really cool to see people come together and support one another. The streets outside right now are really quiet. People here are definitely very fearful. I'm not far from Elmhurst, which is sort of New York City's epicenter and where you were seeing a lot of those horrifying reports of like things like morgue trucks and overwhelmed hospitals. But that being said, my neighborhood, like our restaurants are handing out free food every day at noon. People in the neighborhood are constantly checking in on each other. I'm obviously not native. I'm from Michigan. Um, My partner is from Athens and is not native as well. But people have been really consistent about checking in on us and seeing how we're doing. So even though it's very quiet here right now and it's eerie and it's a little bit scary, there is definitely a sense of familiarity and of people supporting each other, which has been really nice. And professionally, uh, you're, you're staying home, working from home, as you mentioned earlier, how has Vice tried to to organize through a time like this? I mean, has has the pandemic been hard to to power through, or is, are there a lot of built-in systems at Vice to make this quite doable? A lot of built-in systems. I work for ViceNews.com, so it's a different story for us than it is for Vice News Tonight, which has had to shift from doing a nightly broadcast from home, which is a far different story. But even before this, and I've like joked with my coworkers, I used to want to work from home all the time. I loved it. I thought it was great for concentrating. I thought I got more done. Um, And our editors and our bosses were already very gracious with allowing us to work from home if we thought we concentrated better, Um, especially since like most newsrooms everywhere, we have sort of an open concept office plan, which can make things quite loud. The way that I work with Vice has not changed that much. We're still communicating over Slack and putting out morning emails with all of our story ideas and talking over Google Hangouts. We were already a global newsroom before this, and so there were some people that never were in the New York office or always worked from home anyway, um, especially our folks out in D.C. and London. However, like I said, it's very different for the people who are doing Vice News Tonight and the people who are contributing to Vice News Tonight. I know that one of the things that they've done that's very new and something I would have to get used to if I participate in this, I haven't had to yet, is the correspondents have been producing their segments where they're talking or their interviews from home. Um, So they've discussed sending us things like microphones, tripods for our iPhones, and lighting setups so we can shoot those things at home, which is obviously very new. I think that the television has adapted very well to it similarly to, you know, local and national TV newsrooms across the country, which has been really cool to see. I want to go back to your coverage of of homelessness and ask you to uh, kind of think out loud a little bit about where do you think that coverage will take you? Do you you see this being a a long-term topic that you would uh, keep focusing on for the next three to five years? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would say... The hope is to focus more broadly on U.S. economic injustice and poverty, um, homelessness being a factor of that for as long as I can. And I don't totally know what that looks like because there aren't a lot of reporters in that position. Um, So I'm sort of figuring out what I would want my beat to contain and how I could build up sources Um, I've considered, you know, should I go to grad school and get, you know, a business reporting degree or something along those lines so I can do this the best justice in the economic sense that I would like to. But I would definitely like to stay with this route 
no matter how many reporters are covering it right now, it still could never be covered enough. I mean, you heard like Bernie Sanders say it several times in the presidential debates that nearly 500,000 people sleep outdoors every night. It's actually more than that. It's something that is growing worse and worse in America year by year. And it's just crazy that this is happening in one of the richest countries in the U.S. and is not going away. So as long as that's here, I think that I'll be here too. Also really interested in the housing crisis, which is directly intertwined. Very interested in labor and how low-wage jobs work in the U.S. It's just an area that's really, really rich with stories and brings me a lot of satisfaction to report on. So I don't anticipate abandoning it anytime soon. What kind of feedback are you getting from people in the homeless community to the work that you're doing? I think there are two sides to it. One is I think that people are excited to get their stories out there and to be heard from people in their community rather than be told what they're going through. Because again, there are a lot of politicians and even advocates who make assumptions about the homeless community that aren't quite right or at least are different from every single person who's experiencing homelessness. So every time that I go out, to an encampment. Similarly, I guess, did how it is anytime I go out into a crowd and I open up my notebook and I say, I want to talk to you, I want to hear your story. I'm always really surprised that people are very willing to talk to me, to tell me things that I would imagine are very hard to tell a complete stranger and to invite me into where they stay and to be vulnerable to allow me to share their stories. On the other side, I would say that there are reactions too from people who are still frustrated with the fact that this hasn't been covered for years and they would like to see more coverage. There will always be people who say, as long as you're doing this, why don't you do this also? Or why aren't you devoting more resources into this? Why haven't you covered encampments in Boston or Austin, Texas or Denver? And I think both perspectives are really valid. We're getting stories out there that haven't been told as much. There's still a lot more to do. This is a totally different line of questioning, and it'll be my last question. Is there any particular thing about life in Athens that you still think about and miss? Oh, God, yeah. Um, a lot of things, actually. I've especially been thinking about this recently because I just want to, like, escape. Who doesn't? I will say this is really weird, but one thing that we just do not have in New York City, at least to my knowledge, is a really good vegetarian hot dog. I'm a vegetarian. Obetti's is unmatched in terms of like vegan slash vegetarian hot dogs and I get the biggest craving for it all the time and I have tried in vain my boyfriend as well again being from Athens we've both tried so hard to look for an equivalent and it's just not here in a city of like 8 million people it's something I look forward to every time I go back to Athens I like knowing that that is there and that's like special and unique I would love like if Obedias wants to franchise and have one in Queens I wouldn't be opposed to it but it does make you know it's one of the things that makes Athens special and like kind of quirky so I'm looking forward to coming back you know like whenever the global crisis abates in like however long <laughs> well that that little window at Obedias is open you know for business right now so if you if you get back sooner They'll, they'll serve you a vegan hot dog with sauerkraut and all the wonderful things that make it awesome. That would really be amazing. It's something that's been on my mind constantly and will for sure be on my mind for the rest of the day now. Well, Emma Ackerman, thank you so much for joining us today on Scripps Talks. Best of luck to you with all the very important, serious work that, that you're doing right now. Thank you for having me, Dr. Stewart. I really appreciate it.